1: It was a trying week for people across the Sunshine State, many of whom had to pick up and leave to get out of Hurricane Irma's path. This led to the third time in the last four years that a Gator football game had to be canceled due to weather, but now there's a desire for a return to normalcy as those affected by the storm return to their homes. That also meant the Gators getting the green light to host Tennessee this weekend after a two-week layoff following their opening loss to Michigan. To get you set for one of the great rivalries in college football, today we'll chat with defensive back Duke Dawson. FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter, wide receivers coach Kerry Dixon II, and Gator great Andre Caldwell. Let's get started by hearing from one of the most important senior voices on the defense. Duke Dawson announced his arrival in the 2017 season with an electrifying pick six against Michigan and is a critical returner expected to lead a young secondary. We caught up with Duke to chat about the looming matchup with Tennessee, but began by asking about the impact of Hurricane Irma on him and his teammates.
2: I mean it's been pretty crazy, uh, knowing that uh hurricane like that came through. So um now that it's out of the way, um, we can focus more on ball instead of our families. As a whole team, you know you're far away from your family, so you wanna you wanna make sure they're in a safe place as possible. So um now that that's gone, we can just focus more
1: on football. So what was it like for you personally? I mean, in what ways was your family affected by this storm?
2: Only thing my family lost was power. So I mean they should be getting that back on pretty soon. But other than that, Everyone is safe and is in a safe place.
1: Did everyone on the team stay in town? And what did you guys all do to stay safe as everything was starting to happen?
2: Yeah, everyone everyone stayed in uh, town. And as a team, what we all did, um, we all hung out at the house or whatever, played video games. I know some played board games. I mean, just to get our mind off it and uh, not think about our families too much and just, just pray as much as possible to make sure they're safe.
1: See, I was thinking about how much you guys love to play video games, but when you lose power, that's not an option. So what did you guys do when power was out to to stay entertained? I mean, a lot of us didn't lose power. If we did, it probably
2: was like 30 minutes. I know like where I live at, my conflict can lose it. I think um, a couple of our teammates lost it for like 20, 30 minutes, but it came right back on. So, I mean, it, we just did the, do what we do normally. I mean, just hang out and just have fun.
1: So you guys went through this to an extent last year with the LSU game. I'm curious how much that prepared you for what happened this time around.
2: I mean, it prepared us a lot. We knew what was coming. Well, This hurricane here was was bigger than the one before, so um, we had to really be in a safe place and prepare for what could happen, and uh, that's what we did.
1: When you have a game like Michigan that obviously no one's happy with, usually players just want to get out and play again as quickly as possible to get that taste out of their mouths. How difficult was it to not have a game and have to stew on that a little bit longer?
2: I mean, right after practice... I could kind of see the look on Coach Mack's face uh, when we got the news. They didn't tell any of the players until after practice. So um, once we got into the huddle, Coach Mack called up the AD, Mr. Scott. Um, mm-hmm. We all knew we knew it was bad news. So as soon as we heard the bad news or whatever, you should have. The, the whole team was like, you know what I'm saying, had mad faces. You know what I'm saying? They wasn't happy about the game not being played. But only thing we can do now is just focus on this week and uh, prepare and just hopefully come out with a victory.
1: Now, you personally had a a really solid game against Michigan with the pick six to really got things started. Can you talk about what was working for you in the opener and what gives you confidence right now moving forward?
2: Just understanding the game more. I understand it a lot more that I came back of the game has slowed down for me, so um, it's less thinking and more playing, and um, that's one thing that has been huge for me. Yeah,
1: There is a lot of pressure on you to, to lead right now because you lost so many members the secondary. How much of a jump has that meant for you in terms of leadership, and in, in what ways have you shown that?
2: Uh, with me, the, the main jump was me being more vocal. Uh, I'm not really a, a talkative guy, so that's one thing that um, I've been working on and
1: I can say I improved on. Who do you think has leaned on you the most in terms of younger guys? Who have you worked with the most? I mean,
2: any any young guy who always come up to me and ask. I mean,
1: it's not just one guy. I mean, I try to help out as many people as possible. There's been a lot of changes defensively on the staff over the course of the last year. So I'm curious what it's been like for you working with a new position coach and how that's affected you.
2: It affected me in a positive way. Uh, coach Bell, I love the man. Uh, he's like a guy that we can talk about anything outside of football. If you, if you would notice, uh, some people probably thought that me and Coach Bell knew each other for a long time uh, because of the relationship we have off the field.
1: Now, the way things have worked out, the home opener is now Tennessee, and you guys didn't have that tune-up game that you were hoping for against Northern Colorado. How much of a challenge is that both mentally and physically to go right into a game of this magnitude?
2: I mean, it's a, it's a big challenge. You have to be mentally, mentally locked in the whole time, the whole game, and physically as well, because this is a team that, um, that comes in every week and plays hard. So, I mean, we have to really be on our keys and uh, buy out into what the game plan and what the coaches has given us.
1: What have you noticed specifically about Tennessee? What has stood out when you've looked at them on film?
2: I mean, uh, it's the same thing, uh, I can say. I mean, it's just new, newer guys, and that's one thing I can, I can say. I mean, everything else to me is pretty much the same.
1: When you look at a playmaker like Marquez Calloway, in what ways do you deal with him? Someone so big and so physical. I'm sure you saw what he did against Georgia Tech. How do you contain someone like that?
2: I mean, you uh, got to be disciplined. Great eyes, great hands, great feet. And uh, the biggest thing
1: is communication. Just knowing what's going to happen before the play and uh, make the play. Tennessee has changed so much over the course of the last year. So many new players that they bring on the offensive side how much have you had to learn them from scratch as opposed to relying on information from the last couple of years?
2: I mean, we watch a lot of film on uh, all those guys. So, um, I mean, we, we know what's going to come and what, what's at hand. Uh, Only thing we
1: can do is just go out and perform. Now, having Gator football back means a lot to a lot of people and certainly a, a comfort when people are going through a tough time. So what does it mean for you guys to be able to go out and, and give the people what they want to see this weekend in, in the Swamp?
2: Um, we have to bring everything we could possibly bring to this game. First game in the Swamp. is going to be
1: a, a great atmosphere, a great crowd, so uh, we just have to come out and play and uh, play at a high level. What do you think the keys are to doing that? What are going to be the most important factors that, that lead to a Gator victory?
2: Commitment. One team, one sound. That's the one thing I can, uh, I can say. Everyone being on the right page and positively thinking, uh, encouraging the guy next to you and playing for the guy next
1: to you. I right, well, Duke, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Good luck to you this weekend. Thank you. Football took a backseat to safety this past week, and the pictures that came in from cities across Florida were staggering. Some of those even came from Gainesville, including a stunning look at Lake Alice with a couple sitting on a bench that was suddenly underwater. The university city will mostly be back to normal by kickoff on Saturday, but we began our conversation with FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter by digging into how the community was affected by Irma.
3: someone who's lived in Florida for uh, 35 years now uh, you know I've been around a lot of hurricanes but this one did feel different because I've never seen one with that projected path and uh, you know Gainesville obviously in north Florida and it's away from the coast so you don't expect the the weather channel to be talking about a, a hurricane coming straight through uh, you know central and north central Florida and, mm-hmm. and really that's what uh, Irma did luckily you know when you've You know, you've seen some of the coverage, I'm sure. And you've seen what Key West looks like. Miami had a lot of flooding. Even Jacksonville got a lot of flooding uh, on the back end of the storm. And Orlando took some hits. And basically, uh, Gainesville, certainly you can tell, driving around town the last couple of days that Irma was here. But I think overall, the general sense at UF and and, and Gainesville is that we, you know, we kind of got lucky. It's not as bad as as it could have been. You certainly see some trees down. You see a lot of debris spread around. There was some flooding in certain areas the first couple of days, but I think most of that's receded now. And I think by Saturday, you know, for those who are at the game or coming to town and haven't been here for a while, you know, they're not going to see a lot of, of uh, lingering from Irma other than, you know, maybe some trees on the sides other roads still that need to be cut up or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a – stressful and really Gainesville served as a primary uh spot where evacuees from South Florida came I mean you mm-hmm. could tell over the weekend you know certainly Friday Saturday Sunday there's most of your gas stations in town are out of gas uh all you know you walk into a grocery store and the shelves are empty and all the hotels uh you know were full that was something that the UF administration and Gainesville city officials they asked they like you know for those fans who usually would have been here for the Northern Colorado game the cancel their rooms so those become open. Um, it It was a different kind of experience, but in the end, Adam, it's one, you know, we got lucky in a lot of ways.
1: Well, and you mentioned people coming in town for the game this weekend, what they should expect to see. That wasn't a foregone conclusion that the Tennessee game would happen in Gainesville. We didn't know for sure until Tuesday afternoon that Gainesville would be able to hold that game. So can you talk about what went into the decision from the Florida side that the game would proceed as planned
3: you know they had to wait for Irma obviously to get out of the area and that happened kind of late Monday afternoon and you know from then there was already meetings with the SEC and the local officials UF officials University Athletic Association officials so a lot a of, lot of monitoring going on a lot of discussions and I think once the city and the you know the services that uh are provided through them you know whether it's the uh, first responders and the, the folks who are out there cleaning the streets And I, I think they got a good sense by probably early Tuesday that you know what we did get lucky it's not as bad as feared uh, we can get this stuff uh, cleared out by the weekend when game day happens and and obviously the SEC had the final call it was their decision and I think they relied heavily obviously on the two schools and just how they felt and what the concerns for from them were. And I'm sure they talked to you often. What's the real tone down in Gainesville? Mm-hmm. I mean, is this something that, you know, the folks are ready for, excited for? Is it something that we can realistically pull off? I think once they uh, determine that, yeah, you know what, it, we, we'll be okay to have a game. And I think a lot of folks in the area actually are, are ready for a game. And, uh, you know, I, I don't expect any real noticeable effects from Irma to be lingering on Saturday in terms of around the stadium or stuff the stadium had I think some minor signage damage nothing that can't be easily repaired this week but you know I was uh in there the day after uh, Irma went through and it looked like the old same old swamp to me and the, other than it's a, a tree here and there campus uh you know it looked pretty normal
1: So getting to the game itself and what will become the de facto home opener one week later, how difficult is this going to be for the Gators? Because obviously they didn't look good against Michigan and the Northern Colorado game was supposed to be sort of a feel good to get their feet under them, but they ended up not having that. So what do you think the expectation is for for Jim McElwain and his staff to prepare this team without the Northern Colorado game in their back pocket?
3: Well, it's huge. I mean, they, they know what they're up against. I mean, it's not a win. It's not a make or break by any means in their season. You know, it's only the second game of the season. It's the first SEC game. But obviously, the momentum is clearly on Tennessee's side. Uh, Florida's had a couple of difficult weeks. You know, you the fan base was excited. They had the big game against Michigan out in Dallas, a different kind of season opener than the program's had in many years. And they go out there and pretty much gonna lay an egg. I mean, that's about the only way you would really, after talking to the coaches and players, I mean, they know they didn't play very well out there, mm-hmm. and that they have to be a lot better against Tennessee to to have an opportunity to win that game. And I think the real focus this week is in practice, uh, getting prepared for this game, not just from a game plan standpoint or uh, the technical side of things. This is a week of practice where they need to be mentally sharp from the start because you already got somewhat of a shortened week now. The team. Did actually practice over the weekend before Irma got into town, and uh, then on Monday, obviously the hurricane passes through and they're quiet. On Tuesday, they return to practice, and then you know you're looking at Wednesday, Thursday, and uh, probably some kind of walkthrough on Friday. And so these guys are going to have to be on point from the start to be on point in the game Saturday, and it's an urgency level that they didn't think they would have to be at for their second game. They like you said, I mean, they were g- going to go into the Northern Colorado game, obviously, focused the, and with intent on playing better than they did against Michigan. But this is a different different opponent. You know, Tennessee's coming off a couple of wins. They jumped up into the standings. They're ranked 23rd now. And, uh, you know, Florida's got some uh, proving, I guess, to do.
1: One big area that people are going to be looking at is going to be quarterback play. And Felipe Franks was named the starter for the Northern Colorado game, which then didn't happen. And that was going to be an important opportunity for him to play in a less stressful game in a home environment. And the thought was that would be a real springboard for him to maybe progress as a starter going forward. In your mind, where does the quarterback race stand going into Tennessee? Does it stay the same? And if so, what would be the expectations for Franks against a much better defense than he was going to have to face?
3: I'd be surprised, you know, considering that Jim McElwain did say that Felipe Franks was going to start the Northern Colorado game. If if that plan changes, I mean, he didn't have a lot of, I guess, exposure in the Michigan game, five and nine, and you know, before he was pulled, and the game was really clearly in Michigan's hands. And but it also wouldn't surprise me, Adam, if you know he does give a different look uh, to Tennessee with Malik Zare, or if they struggle early on offense and have some of the same issues that they had against Michigan, maybe the, the veteran of the group goes in there, Luke Del Rio. I mean, Luke Del Rio missed this game last year when he was injured uh, right after the North Texas game. He had a knee injury, so he was replaced by Austin Apple. You got to remember that game was 21 nothing, 21-3 at halftime. Yeah. Then Tennessee reels off 38 consecutive points and snapped that 11-game losing streak to Florida but uh I, I do look I mean Felipe Franks, I thought it was important that he did have a chance against northern Colorado, a team that at least on paper you figure Florida had a clear advantage and I thought it could be important for his confidence in the early season development to maybe get a game like that under his belt and go out and maybe put up some big numbers and take some chances maybe they they wouldn't do against a uh, a more talented opponent but We're going to see. I mean, you're you're going to have to rely on your quarterback to win some games if you're Florida this year. I mean, while the defense is good, Jim McElwain's talked a lot that this offense has to be better. The quarterback play has to be better. And uh, certainly it's a big opportunity for Felipe Franks. You know, if he can go out there and get things going and uh, they get some uh, momentum going, that'd be huge for him personally and also obviously huge for the Gators.
1: You know, it's a testament to how successful Florida has been over the years that the Gators have not had an 0-2 start since 1971, but that's potentially on the line uh, in this Tennessee game. So I, I guess what I would wonder is how much pressure will be on their shoulders and will they be playing with knowing what that means? I mean, even even if it doesn't necessarily portend what's to come the rest of the year, People love pointing out history and, you know, Twitter is great at, at putting facts like that out there. So we're just getting ahead of the curve here. That's a possibility. So how much pressure does Florida play with in this game as a result of that?
3: Well, I think as the week goes on and, you know, leading up to game time, they're going to hear more and more about that. 0-2 oh, uh, since 1971. Heck, Adam, I was even born then, man. So that should how long <laughs> that <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh there's no doubt. I mean, there's enough pressure in this game already because it is your home opener. It is your sec opener. Uh, and then also just coming off a, a, a bad performance out in the uh, Dallas against Michigan. There's a lot of storylines around this game. And, you know, one of them will certainly be that potential of an and to start for the first time in 46 years. And I mean, no, no team, no coach wants to get tagged with that label. And, uh, It's not going to be probably discussed much, but it's something that could be in the back of their minds and something that they want to go out there and win the game for a lot of reasons. But certainly you can add that to the list and maybe say that's uh, that adds a different kind of, uh, I guess, unique pressure or uh, just something to think about.
1: There's two ways to look at the long break between games. On one hand, you could say, well, they needed to get back out and get it out of their system. But the other side says they had more practice in between games and more time to work on some of their deficiencies against Michigan. So let's say it's the second one. What areas are you expecting to see the most improvement from the Gators when they come out against Tennessee?
3: Well, I think everybody's going to be watching the offensive line. I mean, that was a weak point against Michigan. Uh, I'm sure they've had some time to review all that film before, uh, you know, <laughs> moving on and probably wanted to get rid of that film pretty fast like uh, like they did after the loss to Michigan in the uh, Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl. Burn point. the tape. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but I do think uh, offensive line will be watched closely. And playing off of that, you, you know, you're going to need to run the ball better. 11 yards isn't going to cut it. Uh, that's what they had against Michigan. They're going to have to protect the passer better. Uh, they gave up, what, six sacks. And, of course, everything I'm talking about here, you know, you can trace back in some ways to the offensive line. It's not all their fault, certainly. But a lot of that is at least going to be put on them. So that's one area that I'm sure Florida has focused uh, a lot on and prepared for Tennessee. And, you know, you can't talk about, Improvements and not discuss the quarterback play. I mean, mm-hmm. Felipe Franks, while five and nine, 75 yards, he didn't do anything significantly wrong. He obviously had that fumble that cost. And then Malik Zaire came in, and uh, you know he had his issues because there was very little protection for him. And you know Jim McElwain discussed that he he wants to see him develop some kind of comfort back there in the pocket because he looked to run before he looked to throw and. Uh, And then, of course, the the Rio factor, we don't know if he's going to play. I won't be surprised if he plays, if things get off to a sour start for the Gators. Uh, So, you know, offensively, Adam, they had 209 yards against uh, Michigan. I mean, they would probably like double that at least. Uh, You know, Tennessee, this is a, a team that averaging 42 points a game through their first two games, obviously a small sample size, but they had that big opening win against Georgia Tech. Then they beat up Indiana State in their second game, kind of like most people figure Florida with the Northern Colorado. Sure. So you wipe that game out for Florida. Tennessee plays that kind of game, and you figure they got to be feeling pretty good about themselves as they come down to the swamp on Saturday. So, you know, to me it's going to be important for Florida just to come out, like we talked earlier, be on point, have an urgency through practice this week, and, uh, and maybe get an early lead and, and just get the home fans into the game early because, you know – the players want to play the game. You know they're bottled up, the coaches. But guess what? So are the fans. So if, mm-hmm. if you can if you can give those fans something to get excited about early, uh, that, could, that could help a lot.
1: Yeah, Tennessee gave up, I believe it was 500 rushing yards to Georgia Tech in their opener. But that's the triple option, which poses a very unique challenge. So that's not something Florida will throw at them, but their defense has shown some vulnerability, especially against the run so maybe something Florida can take advantage of. But looking at Tennessee and and some of their bold-faced names, it's different from what we've had in recent years. There's no Jalen Hurd. There's no Josh Dobbs. It's sort of the, the new guard of Tennessee, but... Someone I was really impressed with in that Georgia Tech game was Marquez Callaway. Uh, Florida won't have their Callaway in this game, but Tennessee will certainly have theirs, and he's one of those big physical playmakers that can really pose a threat down the field, which is why it's important Florida is healthier in the secondary, especially with Chauncey Gardner back and ready to play.
3: Yeah, I mean, Callaway looks like a really good player for Tennessee. Uh, He certainly, I think, was one of those breakout players the first week of the season in college football, Mm -hmm. that people maybe didn't know a lot about uh, but he made his presence felt in that Georgia Tech game you know he's 6'2", 200 pounds like you said a physical receiver good challenge for the Florida secondary uh, that you know Chauncey Gardner will be back there came out of the game uh, against Michigan in the second half and you know there were questions about what his availability was going to be moving forward but he appears to uh, have quickly recovered and you know that adds just another playmaker in that secondary to go along with Duke Dawson, who you know showed what he can do with that touchdown uh, return for an interception in the Michigan game. And uh, I think you know watching that those matchups against Callaway and you know you got another quarterback in there this year for uh, Tennessee. You got everybody got so used to Josh Dobbs for the last three seasons, and now he's gone, and now it's uh, Quentin Dormady again, a big quarterback, 6'4", around two fifteen. Get the ball out to Callaway, and he can also hand off and get the ball to John Kelly, the tailback, who only player in the SEC Adam, right now who leads his team in rushing yards and receptions. Hmm. So yeah, Kelly's a you know a versatile player out of the backfield, and uh, it's going to be a good challenge for Florida's defense against Tennessee's offense. But if you really wanted to me, the key matchup in the game, just the general sense, I think is Florida's offense. We've talked already about their struggles against tennessee's defense because you know tennessee is they come in 2-0 but they certainly had a lot of uh struggles in that georgia tech game and the, they kept did it and got some help in the end and won that game in overtime but like you said they gave up more than 500 yards and it is a little bit of probably uh skewed playing against that georgia tech rushing attack but you got to think they give them up 500 yards rushing in any game florida should hope that they can pick up some yards on the ground.
1: Sure. I mean, the numbers are staggering. I'm I'm looking at the box score from Tennessee and Georgia Tech. They did win the game in double overtime, largely because of two critical Georgia Tech turnovers because Tennessee gave up 655 total yards. Georgia Tech was 13 for 18 on third downs, and they had almost double the number of first downs as the volunteers. So Tennessee sort of just – fell into that victory, which has now propelled them forward in the same way that Florida's loss in their opener, Michigan set them back. So, you know, we talk about tone setters, but it doesn't necessarily indicate what you're going to do the rest of the year.
3: No, I mean, it's still early in the season. I've never been one of those to kind of jump the gun either way on a loss or win at the start of the season. I've seen a lot of good teams lose their first game and play out stronger than. I've seen some teams you like they pull an upset or too early in the season and you think they've really got something going, and it falls apart for them <laughs> down the stretch. But I think with this this Gators team this year, there's just a lot of unknowns right now, still that really didn't get answered or or even reveal any significance in the first game. You know, certainly at least not on the positive end, because you know, like we talked about, the offensive line was supposed to be a strength and it didn't look that way against Michigan. Their running game was supposed to be improved and it wasn't that way against Michigan. Uh, the defense, I thought, had its moments, obviously, with uh, Duke Dawson and C.J. Uh, Williams returning those picks for uh, touchdowns. Uh, but, you know, and the quarterback play. I mean, there's still so much unknown there. I, I'm really interested to see what the plan is there. And if, if Felipe Franks, if, if they give him kind of a long leash in the mm-hmm. in the Vols game on Saturday because, you know, he's still, still going to learn something at this point in his career every drive. I mean – one of the most amazing stats to me out of the Michigan game, I think Florida ran 53 plays, and only 10 of them were in Michigan territory. Wow. So they're looking to to just get that offense going and put some pressure on the ball's defense, which is something they just didn't do against Michigan.
1: Well, unfortunately, we don't have Chris with us today. He uh, had some hurricane cleanup that was necessary around his house, but we do still want to do our PAT. And my inspiration this week came from the story about the Japanese company named Rakinen that's going to pay $20 million a year to be on the Warriors jerseys, which is more than double the deal that the Cavs got, for example. So my question, Scott, is are we staring at the future across all sports? Is this going to come to college? Is this going in every corner of American sports? And is that a good thing?
3: Well, I'm going to use my first answer in three words, Adam two thumbs down (laughs) but that's that's kind of how i feel on this you know i'm somewhat of a traditionalist when it comes to uh, uniforms and and stuff of that nature and one thing i've learned about sports fans uniforms are very very important to them whether it's football baseball basketball it doesn't matter sure you know we've seen corporate sponsorships obviously in nascar over the years and we've seen it internationally in soccer uh but bringing that into the the mainstream American sports, you know, such as football, basketball, baseball, it hasn't gone there yet, except really in the names of these stadiums. You know, there's been so many corporate sponsors buying up naming rights for stadiums over the years, mostly in the professional leagues that, you know, some of these places that you remember uh, when you were a kid, what they were named. I mean, they've gone through five, six, seven name changes. And it's like, okay, I understand. I mean, I get it. It's another revenue stream that, wasn't there in the past and if, if some company or sponsor is willing to pay you uh 20 million a year as uh evident, what's it called the japanese company Rakanin. yeah if, if rakkonen is willing to pay the warriors 20 million you know if i'm the warriors uh ceo or cfo i'm like hey that can that can pay for one of these uh all-stars we have <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. that'll pay 20 percent of durant's salary right
3: yeah exactly <laughs> So, I mean, it's obvious that's the business of sports. Uh, but, man, it would was, it was just be weird to see, let's say, the Gators running out of the tunnel for the opener uh, on Saturday with, let's say, the logo of Ragnam. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to do some research on Racknum because I don't know much about him. it. It well, might
1: be a cool logo. I haven't seen it either, but it still would look weird. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, even if it was a, a really, really cool logo that was even orange and blue, right? it would still be odd. Because, you know, if you put it on your jersey, it's eventually probably going to go on your helmet, right? Mm-hmm. And if it goes on your helmet, you know, they're going to probably put it on your cleats eventually. And I don't know, it just would be a, a hard a hard sell, I think, for a lot of fans. But, you know, uh, where are we going with that? It's a great question, Now I can see more and more of it coming, I hope it kind of stays on the professional level, even though, you know, how how about a Dallas Cowboys running out with Exxon <laughs> stuff, logo, It just uh, like in the start, it just wouldn't right. So we'll see where that's going. But for now, I'm going to stick uh, with my traditional views and, and hopefully uh, not many teams past the Warriors uh, start doing that soon.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100%, although if, if you look at the sport that dominates the world, which is soccer, a sport that I'm close to. Uh, It's already taken over there. It is the primary focus of all soccer jerseys. The team logo is secondary to the corporate one on the front. So I I hope we're not headed there anytime soon, but there's certainly precedent for it in the world's most popular game.
3: Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, you are more into soccer. You know about more of it than I do. I've come to appreciate soccer more, you know, in recent years because of the World Cup and stuff, but I don't follow any of the, the premier leagues or any professional leagues. And and that's a that's an interesting point i i really do hope that doesn't become the case in in the mainstream modern you know the popular mainstream sure. american sports but you know I've been around enough, Adam. I've seen a lot of things I didn't expect. That could just be another one of them. That's
1: it. It's a brave new world that we're entering, and that's why, uh, that's why we're here to talk about it and try and make sense of it. But most importantly, uh, we're going to try and make sense of everything that happens this week leading up to Florida, Tennessee, which fans can keep tabs on by following all of your work and all of Chris's work on FloridaGators.com. And, of course, follow Scott on Twitter for everything at Scott. Scott, thank you so much as always. Look forward to talking to you again next week. All right. Thank you, Adam. In the absence of Antonio Callaway, there's a real opportunity for a number of the Gators' young wide receivers to step up and announce their presence. It's the job of Kerry Dixon II to ensure they have the tools to do just that, and Jeff Cardozo caught up with the wide receivers coach to discuss his group of playmakers.
4: Well, anytime you get ready for a season opener, that's an SEC game. You know, each one of these games are championship caliber games. So it's not very hard to get them up. You know, they know what's at stake and uh, they're ready to rock and roll. You know, the mentality of the guys is to go out and dominate any chance they get. So I'm excited about their preparation this week and uh, they've done a great job.
5: And, and mentally, too, it's got to be tough because obviously a you, you, you little disappointment from what happened in week one. And then you don't get to have that, that game in week two. What what was that week like and, and going through everything? You, you're ready to go and then all of a sudden you just don't get to play anymore.
4: You know, part of being a coach is kind of like being a psychologist as well. You know, you got to train the brain to get through tough situations, you know, on the field and off the field so these guys can not be successful. So it was a little bit of a challenge, especially when they found out the game was canceled. But, you know, we were able to gather them back and get them going this week.
5: Great route receiver, coach, and a poet right there. Train the brain. I like it. <laughs> and if people are going to like you guys uh, this week, obviously they're, they're going to see more of Tyree, who had a nice uh, day week one. And you know, Josh Hammond, you know, he's a guy you've talked about now for a couple of years. Probably pretty excited to uh, to get him out there.
4: You know, it's been very exciting to watch the development of these guys, you know, being here with them for the past couple of years. It's gratifying as a coach to see what's transpired over the past couple of years with Tyree and his confidence level going up. Uh, Josh Hammond is continuing to elevate his game. Can't say enough about Brandon Powell as a leader in the group. Freddie Swain has been doing a really good job, you know, accepting his role and uh, playing his butt off when he gets a chance. So I'm excited about all of my guys and – I look forward to seeing him play.
5: Yeah, you know, Brandon's got, I think, 15 games in a row where he's caught a ball. So I know he's going to be a part of the offense. And Kadarius got some balls at the, the end of the Michigan game. Dre Massey, I know you're excited about. So there's a lot of guys there. How do you get them all the ball?
4: Yeah, you know, we have a get it to chart that we actually keep track of during the game. And I get it to Nuss and let them know who's touched the ball. And we try to make sure that our playmakers get to make plays. So, you know, we try to script it in practice as well as do it in the game and uh, help those guys be successful and get us championship success.
5: So as you prepare for uh, for Tennessee this week and all the the things that have certainly gone on with the hurricane, and now it comes down to football. When you look at what Tennessee has, uh, you know they got, they got some DBs back there that are pretty decent.
4: Yeah, you know, Justin Martin is pretty decent. Emmanuel Mosley, those guys on the outside, they do a really good job. Uh, the safeties, I think, are the strength, Nigel Warrior and Mike Abernathy. And also, I've been impressed with uh, Ty Kelly coming in as well.
5: You look at just the, this series and uh, just being in Florida for, for a couple of years now, but you, you know how important this thing is. And Gators had that long winning streak. It was unfortunate what happened in the second half last year. Is that any part of the conversation or is it just a, hey, a whole new year and let's just get back to, to playing some good football?
4: You know, you, I tell the guys, you got to have quick amnesia. So, look, we got to let that one go. It's on to the next and uh, it's time to go out and prove it. You practice
5: now it's time to put it on film. This town, I think, needs this game, too. I know you're pretty excited to get these guys out there.
4: Oh, yeah. You know, with all the people going through things through the flood, you know, we had a couple of guys with families that were involved in uh, some flooding and different things through, due to the hurricane. So it'll be good to give somebody a release. You know, it's always good to get out there in front of our home crowd, which is the best in the country, and uh, just go out there and do what we do.
5: How do you think the guys reacted to that big stadium week one? A lot of young guys that we've mentioned throughout this, but do you think they handled it okay?
4: You know, of course, at the beginning, there's going to be a little shell shock, but uh, they handled it pretty well. They were good on the sideline, good in communication, understanding what they were seeing on the field. And uh, I'm excited to see what they do this go around.
5: So were you able to come back from that, some of the things maybe they didn't do all that well and be able to coach them up these last few weeks?
4: Oh, yeah, the last few weeks have been easy. You know, you show them what they did wrong, you show them what they did good, and let's go try to build off of it.
5: And how important is that in just watching film and analyzing some of the things, just route running, little subtle things that can make them better?
4: Yeah, you always look at your opponents, you look at their techniques, you look at how they play press, how they play off and uh, try to gain an advantage in route running as well as seeing coverage structure so you know when you're open and how you can get your buddy open. That's the biggest thing with us.
5: The last thing, every week you look at what the opponent's going to try to do, and I and know you guys look at film and you try to know what's going to be successful. Is it a just a big chess match like that with adjustments throughout the game?
4: Yeah, it's a huge chess match. You know, you have to match whatever they do on defense. Uh, try to attack the weakness as best you can. And uh, just make sure you're getting verified information from the box, which is always huge.
5: Well, always huge when I get to talk to you, man. Thank you.
4: (laughs) Yes, indeed. Thanks a bunch for having me.
1: The Gators produced a number of all-time greats during their dominant run in the mid-2000s. And one of the most memorable names from that time is the wide receiver known by most as Bubba. Andre Caldwell helped bridge the gap from Chris Leak to Tim Tebow and became a fan favorite in the process. Bubba went on to the NFL and had a successful eight-year career, capped by winning Super Bowl 50 as a member of the Denver Broncos. Caldwell retired in 2016, and as we found out when we spoke to him at UF's Pro Day last spring, he's now focused on helping those who are trying
0: to follow in his footsteps. This way, it all started for me. Uh, they helped build my foundation to become the man I am today. So it's a lot, you know, to come out here and see these kids running around and giving their all for a dream they probably had since a little kid. And, and for them to fulfill it and be out here and perform in front of these scouts, it's just a great opportunity, and I love to see them compete. How much perspective does it give you now going through what you've been through and the
1: path you traveled to be here thinking about going through these same drills for scouts almost right. 10 years ago?
0: It's just a weird feeling. Like I said, I did it 10 years ago, and now to see these young guys take the same path and do the same drills. It's just a blessing for me to be a part of it still and still be accepted and actually like be able to help and mentor some of these kids and be there for them for guidance.
1: What do you share with them when you do get a chance to talk to these guys?
0: Uh, I just tell them my experience, what I went through, some of the things I had to deal with through my um, professional career and leading up to the draft and, and some of the things that I did, made mistakes that I wish I could take back and try to help them not follow those mistakes and stay on the high road and do the right things. What's
1: the best advice you could give some of these guys as they prepare to go through this process?
0: Uh, just stay focused. You know, you're going to have a lot of people uh, asking for stuff, want to be a part of it. Just Just keep a tight-knit um, group with your family and, and the people that you're really in, in tune with. Just, and just stay, get, stay focused on the plan ahead because without football or uh, without this university, none of this could happen. So just stay focused on the hand, which is football, and your family, and everything else will fall in line.
1: You accomplished so much in your time here. What are those relationships like for you today? How much do you still get to talk to the guys and see some of the guys you, you won a championship with?
0: Uh, yeah, I, uh, like I said, I accomplished a lot. Uh, I, I talk a lot of those guys on social media like Facebook, Instagram, and stuff like that. Uh, I don't get to see them as much because I live in Atlanta, but I do stay in touch, and we still share those memories like it was yesterday. We'll never forget it, and we're a brotherhood because of that. What do
1: you take away from your time in the league relative to playing in college? What, what are some of your best memories from so many things you did in the NFL?
0: Uh, just the friendship you develop you know over the times been in the locker room with those guys it's more so off the field you know the game is great i love it but the um, relationships that i develop and the connections i developed off the field they will they will last forever the game is going to go away but those relationships will always be there and you know it's just it's a stepping stone to to a better future and for me and my, um, my family.
1: You were here a few coaching staffs ago, and we're doing this right now in, in a building that wasn't here right. when you were in school. Right. So when you look back now at what the program is doing under Coach Mack, what do you see from afar about this Gator program?
0: Uh, just like I say a lot of this stuff on here. I was just telling my friend, like, I put a lot of sweat and tears and blood out there on that field.
1: You wanted that roof, right? Right, right. Well, I never condition. got.
0: Have, I never had the roof. I had <laughs> the sun um, every day. Uh, they're doing great things. Like I said, they uh, got a new indoor facility. I hear they're building a football-only um, mm-hmm. facility right down there. So just to see, the, some, see them come up and, and do some great things to the program, I think it's going to keep building and keep getting better. Uh, and I think another national championship should be coming soon, hopefully.
1: What's the next chapter for you as you move past your playing days?
0: Uh, yeah, I got a uh, company I own and started called the Eleven Society. Um, it's a marketing and branding company. work with professional athletes, football, basketball, baseball, and marketing um, world, and I'm also going to be an uh, NFL agent. So I'm going to represent some of these players and try to uh, guide them and do the right things in life and help them with their careers.
1: How much perspective does it give you to, to walk in and say to these guys, hey, I've been what you've right. been through. I mean, you, you have a lot of credibility when it comes to that.
0: Right, yeah. I think I'm a living testimony. You know, I, I didn't just pick this up one day and say I want to do it. I had to go through it. I grind through it and lived it. So this is my life. And everything they're going to go to, I've been through it. And I just want to be that, that vessel to help them and guide them through that process. Well, Bubba, thank you so much
1: for the time. Good luck. Thank you. Hey, hey. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Tune in as the Gators welcome the volunteers to Gainesville on Saturday afternoon at 3.30 live on CBS and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.